Hey guys, it's Alexia James, and this is Diary of a 20-something, a podcast that is going to dive into the experiences of being in your 20s and trying to figure it out. The wins, the failures, the heartaches, and the struggles with everything in between. Welcome back to Diary of a 20-something. It's 2019. Yes, it's a brand new year. It's so crazy to me. And of course, we want to jump into a brand new episode. Just some quick housekeeping. Remember to follow the podcast, subscribe on your favorite platform, if, if that's iTunes, if that's Anchor, if that's Spotify. Subscribe leave a comment let me know how you thought the episode was tweet me at my twitter at alexia underscore james and also you can hit us up at the diary of a 20 something twitter page as well and i hope you enjoy this episode and this amazing guest Okay, so hi guys. I'm here with Darian Narine. Some of y'all know him as Guild B, but besides that, he's probably one person that I really admire because of just everything that happened within the last few months at UE St. Augustine, that's the University of the West Indies in Trinidad and Tobago, and he's the current Guild president there, and how he handled some protests regarding students needs so this episode is really going to be him sharing his story on that experience and cutting through the clutter and the noise of what you may have seen on media twitter etc so meet darren everybody hello everyone it's so good to be here um, on the podcast with you alex so i'm looking forward to this as well so you want me to jump okay. right into it and like get yeah, right into that explanation of, of everything? So recently, um, there would have been a, a security issue on campus. And, um, you know, it was something that that was affecting everybody on the campus grounds itself, especially all of our students. And to us, it was essential that security be taken more seriously on the campus grounds. Uh, by the senior administration because they are the ones who are responsible for allocating the resources so all of these things so keeping that in mind um, we had some expectations and we we would have dropped suggestions uh, last year when I was vice president and they weren't actioned so this year we had a string of robberies we had about six robberies and then an attempted rape as well on the campus um, in the female locker room in broad daylight. That was around 12 noon, uh, probably about half, between 12 and half, 12 uh, noon. So it's daylight out. It's in one of the most popular populated areas in um, on the university grounds, which is the SEC Student Activity Center area. So when this occurred now, um, the, the girl, well, obviously she was in shock. Um, and I mean, it's, anybody who, who goes through something like that would would be in total disarray and, and just uh, completely um, you know completely in shock so 
she went and she made a report to the state police, which is our uh, local police on the campus grounds. Following which, um, she informed the other members of administration. Now, the guild would have done a release after that, stating that, you know, telling people to be cautious, there was an attempted rape on the campus, etc. What was sadden, saddening, well, what saddened us, sorry, was the fact that the administration's reply to that, they actually sent out a release stating that it was not an attempted rape, it was just a robbery alone, when in, the tr- when in truth and fact it was both. So the fact that they were attempting to cover this up um, made us even, or, or not, I don't know if it was a, an attempt at a cover up, sorry, I shouldn't state that. I don't know if it was them just not investigating further, you know, um, looking into into all the facts and 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 uh, all the all the details of the situation. So they they just didn't investigate further, and therefore they sent out a, re- a release without having uh, all the information at hand, um, stating that it was just a robbery. So at that stage, we knew the girl personally. Um, some of my counselors were friends with her, so. At that stage, we we said, okay, no, this this cannot be. They're taking security for a joke. They're taking our safety for a joke, because they don't travel to the campus. They don't have to walk through the campus. They don't spend late nights there. Most of them, as soon as they finish with their job, they leave in their cars um, and go to their their various homes and destinations. But there are people who are in and out of that campus grounds, and there are students who are there very late. So safety and security became a big issue and has been a big issue for us. Um, At that stage, we decided to have a town hall meeting. So we held our town hall meeting where we had discussions about um, what people were expecting, what we could do to improve security um, and all of that. To which the students said that they were tired, they were fed up, they felt as if they've been asking uh, for, for improvements in security for too long. Too much situations have occurred and they haven't seen any improvements at all um, at that stage during the town hall so this would have been october 18th uh probably around 2 2 p.m some students uh, actually said you know we need to do more we need to take this into the, into our, our own hands etc and um but the girl is always there to support the students and whatever decisions they decide to make so when they they began uh raising raising the the voices and when they began to say all right let's let's actually do something now um somebody made the suggestion to actually head down to the gates block the gates and we said all right well let's do this so we moved everybody we moved with with the people and we moved everybody and everybody went down to the gates and then we um at that stage it was a peaceful demonstration um the students interlocked hands in front of the gates demanded for administration to come down to which they did um, but then somebody on the on the campus grounds a member of, of administration itself actually called the riot police uh, who would have come down um, to the, the campus grounds and at that stage they were heavily armed and everything and um, they asked us okay to back back off the, the wider roads, which we all did. If you see the videos, you will see all the students went inside um, the campus grounds and remained inside the campus grounds. There was no one outside. Um, we continued our our demonstration. These students continued to interlock hands. 
started make demands at this point i moved off and i was actually speaking with administration and trying to tell them all right this is what we want this one um and then the the officers they went on the outside op- tried to open the gates and actually pulled a student from on the campus grounds off onto the road and then said that the student was out on the road and then attempted to arrest them at that stage. It took seven officers to detain this one student and put him to the ground, knee to head, everything. They throw his shoes off into a puddle of water because it was raining, um, all of that. Another student then, who's a member of my council, the social sciences representative, he went out to, to ask them, what are you all doing? Why are you all doing this? They then body slammed him to the ground and arrested him. At this stage, this is where the students started again, very, very upset, very worked up. Um, they went out and they were they were like screaming at the officers, why are you all doing this, X, Y, Z? Why you all don't go and take care of the crime in the country itself? You're arresting students, this makes no sense. Uh, we don't know why you all are doing this. Um, to which the, the officers started to say, we'll arrest more of you all, we'll arrest more of you all. Um, and then we had, to, we had to just bring the situation back under control. Um, it was a very emotional time because two, the two students um, work with me on council. So at that stage I was very emotional because of that. I was very emotional because it was attempted rape was taken so lightly by the campus administration as well. Um, and I'm sure you all would have seen the videos where I, I cried as well while during an interview. Um, but a lot of people, you know, they, they didn't understand why and they were saying these people are leading you to stay strong, etc. All of that at that stage. But after you see two of your friends and your two of your colleagues and two people who you work very closely with being arrested and you, see, yeah, you know um, somebody who was uh, almost raped on the campus grounds during the day um, and you know of other people who have had similar situations where they've lost their laptops and phones and everything all the items things that they do work with other people who have been attacked and sexually assaulted on the campus uh, when you take all of that into consideration in that moment i think it's, it's fair to understand why um, any one person would be moved to tears or, or, or moved into just our to be honest the the in that moment it was just so overwhelming everything just just coming in there um and you know i, I had to i mean because we've been fighting so much it, it's been and we continue to fight and and i mean this is my third year on the guild i was national affairs committee chair i was vice president and now president and um i just feel like if we've been fighting for the same things over and over and they weren't listening they weren't seeing that that people here are at risk people are coming to study um you know i remember going to a university meeting afterwards and stating that uh, um, the un they had their safe cities um safe city day uh, where, where they were talking about cities need to be safe spaces etc and i was saying that the university grounds is actually a small city because we house 15,848 students and we have um of just over 2,000 staff members. So you're looking at a population of almost close to 20,000. And that is a small city. And it's important for your cities to be safe from crime, from um, any kind of victimization, from any kind of discrimination. And just to know that they couldn't see this bigger picture. They couldn't see that that this is what's happening, that students are disgruntled, that students are suffering 
on the on the grounds itself and and that you have to when you come onto university to study you have to be worried about your safety that that distracts from everything as well they uh, it made me wonder if even they they have like daughters or or um you know sisters or anything as well who, if, if that had happened to them during the day what would their response be like i mean it was just a very emotional period um i don't know if you want me to to continue along that or if you want me to actually go into the into the details after if you have any questions then to check that oh sure i was just really so consumed by everything that you were saying because i know that you said that people were asking why were you crying um in terms of the situation but i saw the complete opposite online from what i've seen on twitter because so many people were just like proud of you they were regardless of how you react in the situation besides maybe ignorant people that were a little bit older but people our age like we're standing up for you and i felt so proud in that moment even though it was such a because of course you said you were fighting and exhausting but seeing everybody come together even though people say like twitter isn't a real place and nothing really matters there people just talk but it resonates and it matters and i've seen things completely shift because of what people say constructively online and i think you really change the mindset of a lot of people and a lot of people thinking that they can't change anything because it's always been the same so why even bother and that's something that a lot of us have as a mindset and it shouldn't be the case because why should we just roll over and just continue for it to be okay so me i was proud of you of you like taking that stance and how you handle it and everything regardless if you cried or not because you did something which is just so much more powerful than everybody else just talking about it or just not even doing anything so I really wanted to share that in case like I'm sure people probably have came to you with those type yeah. of sentiments I mean, already. the support that I've received from um, from outside from external sources from students from from everybody even some some members of staff some lecturers um, I mean it's, it's been spectacular it's been really great um, even the two guys who got arrested the support that they received as well I mean they to me they were the, the real heroes of this whole protest because they went above and beyond they went they were challenging um, you know I remember the guy one of the guys who got arrested he was asking the officers he said I will take you personally around the campus and I and I will show you all the areas that that need to be guarded etc um, so even the support that they received uh, I was I was so happy you know people started the hashtag trend they spoke, they spoke about Twitter there free Natty free Brian um, and I believe it's because of all that social media pressure all the support that we received and stuff as well that they were free the same night as well uh, even the support that, that I received being president because a lot of people even as many people who criticized me a lot of people also supported the initiative supported the cause one person even sent us uh, some some pictures of 1993 when they protested for the same exact thing you're looking at 25 years I saw that, 25 yeah. years um, ago and people were protesting the same exact thing the safety and security on campus so the fact that the culture is still there and the slackness that slack culture is still there is, is very very disappointing um, you know we would 
we we had a lot of we had a lot of demands and a lot of requests um, after after that protest. I'm, I'm I'm happy to say that some have been met thus far. So it, it's not like if we did the protest in vain, which makes me even happier. Um, we have 14 new security guards coming on board. TTPS is now doing joint patrols through the campus. They're putting up more cameras around the areas and stuff like that. So things like that, you know, it, it shows that that is important to go to go through this. And I, I just want to reiterate the point that this was not our first action. We didn't just jump to a protest. We didn't just say, all right, let's wake up. Or students didn't just say, all right, let's wake up, let's just go and protest. And we, the guild didn't decide to just say, all right, students, let's move, let's go and do this, let's support this this, um, this cause and stuff like that. It was after years of negotiation. I, I would have mentioned this is my third year in the guild. And I could tell you, we had a, a, a walk around campus last year, um, you know, show it them for the same same request for safety and security. Um, in my first year as any as NAC as well, we we had a, a conversations, meetings. I can't even tell you how much meetings these people like to meet. So <laughs> over security and safety as well. So it, it's been it's been loading. It's been something coming for a long time. You know what I found interesting because you just mentioned the 1993 incident, but there was also something similar to that at UE Mona in Kingston. And I don't know if you saw, but there were a lot of students in Jamaica who were Jamaicans who were literally still advocating for everything because, of course, on social media, everybody can mm-hmm. see everything. And it's so interesting because I feel like we're so powerful in terms of our voices because I'm Trinidadian, but I know a lot of Jamaicans because I've been there for my entire time for my degree and that type of thing. And I've slowly been trying to change the mindset because people still have that mindset that, you know, Trinis don't like Jamaicans and vice versa. And it's not the case. And I know we'd say like Trinidad Twitter and Jamaican Twitter, but through those small interactions, people are start. I feel like we're kind of doing our own bits of caricom and i know it might sound very strong or out there but it's so true and people saw what you were doing and then i know that the guild the mona guild they did some flyers and other things in support of what was happening in trinidad and i know people might look at that as a flyer but i know that the different guild communities support each other a lot based on when you all come there and all the other things so i must I think it was still a great. I must say that, that the support that I received from my fellow um, guild presidents and the guild councils was spectacular. Um, they they immediately went to the forefront. They supported everything. Even in the we had university meetings and at university meetings, all the guild presidents come together. And even at those meetings, they they supported everything that I said um, wholeheartedly. And I, I really really appreciated that. It's interesting that you would bring up Twitter. Trinidad, Trinidad Twitter and Jamaican Twitter and um, how is its own little caricom I, I believe that that Caribbean people need to realize they have more in common than they do apart we have far more similarities than we do differences and that's something that, as soon as we come to that realization I believe that we could start to make a difference across the region because then we, we could connect um, based on our similarities and, and really try to become one united force because oh, I, and this is something that I was explaining to sorry to move the, the topic along um, but this is something that I it's was okay. explaining to somebody recently as well I said if if you okay so so the different islands might be 140,000 you might have 90,000 in one place 
um, you know, but when you put the numbers together, when you start to crunch the numbers critically, uh, we have populations, uh, you know, that could actually make a state in a, a larger, in a larger sphere. If you count the Caribbean as one, I believe the English-speaking Caribbean is probably about six million people, if I'm not mistaken. So that's a good amount of of, of people to actually negotiate a space and navigate a space um, in the wider sphere, uh, and and it really increases, you see, as well. And for small countries in the when you when you compare to the global atmosphere, we actually do have a lot of influence. Got you. So we're kind of wrapping up now, but one thing I wanted to touch on was just how do you think you differentiate yourself as a leader, not only for the guild, but in everything that you do and how you kind of change that. What people usually think being a leader is, especially when you look at politicians and you look at the politicians that we have now and the people that are supposed to be advocating on behalf of us, what do you think is different that you do? Um, I think one of the... So there's a famous philosopher, um, Antonio Gramsci, uh, who talks about the organic intellectual. People who... What, basically what an organic intellectual is, is, is someone who garners information, who, you know, gets educated, um, receives receives the, all this knowledge and stuff like that. He may have been somebody who was was in the high ups or the high class of society. I put that in both, you can't see me, but I'm putting it in inverted commas because I, I believe all these things are social structures that we try to sustain. <laughs> um, but he spoke about even if you come from there, it's about being able to communicate the language and the knowledge that you have and the information down to the grassroots level. And that is imperative. I think any leader should always be able to transfer information from, from say, uh, a high level, again, in inverted commas, down to everybody in a, in a way that everybody should be able to understand. It's the power of language, I call it. Because the way how you speak to, uh, let's say, the principal of the university is not going to be the same way that you speak to the doubles man inside the road or to the, um, the well, jerk chicken man for Jamaicans inside the road or the same way that you speak to the fruit vendor or whatever the case may be. Because different people have different levels of education and different levels of awareness and different levels of information as well. And it's important to note that not because somebody... Um, somebody does not have a formal education that they do not have something to offer because a lot of times experiences you could learn a lot through experiences through people's stories and stuff like that and i think that is one thing that's very important as a leader that you be able to listen and also learn the language of everybody around you so if somebody speaks a certain way it's important that you be able to interact with that person and take knowledge and don't be condescending that's that's the most important thing um again everybody has something to offer and everybody has some knowledge to share and the more knowledgeable you are the more aware you are the more relatable you are to different people on the on the ground and around and stuff like that is the better leader that you become because then you actually start serving the people because you you listen to them and you understand what they're saying thanks for that (laughs) there's one more question that i have and it's do you think that being in your 20s, you don't need to stand for something or you don't need to believe in something? Because a lot of times people 
older people like to discredit our stance on things because we're so young. So it's one of your thoughts. I think it's just hypocrisy because when they were our age, they were making a stance. I believe the system has just gotten to them. You know, they've been fighting and fighting and fighting for so long that after a while they just get tired and worn out. And instead of trying to support, you see, people who who hold power, the older people who hold power, or people who hold power within a society, they don't want to see that power go. So they will do anything to basically sustain the status quo. And change is something that's very difficult for older people if you don't, if you ever realized, right? Um, it's something that they find hard and difficult to embrace and accept. And young people oftentimes come as a threat to them and threat to their stability and threat to their, to their, um, to, to their, oh gosh, comfort. So um, it's something that, that, you know, they try to discourage. But you do have some in between there as well who try to encourage young people. I think the important thing is that you try to connect, you try to find the balance between the two things so that they don't feel um, that, you know, we come into to Bandung, the whole place and stuff like that, but instead that they see our cause and they see the reason that we're fighting. And they, that they've come to the realization as well that there are young people coexisting with them who need to be served and who have needs to be served uh, um, in society as well. And it's important that you begin to shape young minds so that you develop a progressive society. Coming back to your initial question, which was, um, should young people take a stance in their 20s? I definitely think so. Um, again, I, I would talk to, to the culture. We have this culture where we basically say that uh, you know, people in their 20s don't, don't stand for anything or don't do anything and that they're apathetic. And I don't really believe that it's it's apathy. I think it's just that they're looking for other young people who have the same energy and zeal and the same fight within them um, to start up the fight and that they will join on. Because, I mean, even with, with the protests that we had at, at UWE, a lot of those people, they probably wouldn't have started to protest on their own. And it took um, somebody saying, all right, let's go, and us supporting it for them to jump on board as well because you can't fight a fight from the back. You have to fight it from the front and you have to show that you believe in this cause. And once you believe something and you're passionate about something, other people will join on the cause naturally. Okay. And last thing, what's your favorite book? My favorite. This is a popular question that people ask. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> my, my favorite book is actually a book called The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. Oh my God, I yeah. love that book. Oh. Um, he's my favorite author actually. So I've, I've read quite a few of his, his works. Yeah. Definitely agree. All right. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. And I know that everybody is going to be so... Because I've literally just been here, like, engrossed in everything that you've been saying. So I just want to thank you so much for your time. And Thank yeah. you so much for having <laughs> me. And I hope everybody um, enjoys this podcast and, and really makes a stance for something and continues to stand up for the things that they believe in. Okay, great. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for tuning in to this amazing episode and listening to Darian's story. Feel free to share this podcast uh, let more people stand in their truths and believe in themselves and of course i hope you share this to your friends subscribe and look out for the next episode